Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Thank you, River Worship. We'll get you back up here in just a moment. Aren't they awesome? Can you give them a round of applause? We've got two new worship leaders up here tonight. They're incredible, doing a great work for the Lord. Um, I'm excited to bring you the word tonight. It's, uh, it's always interesting preaching after Easter, right? Because in church, if you work in church, any, anyone here work in ministry? Let me see your hands. Would you give them a round of applause? Put them up real high. Come on, if you work in ministry part-time, full-time. They are tired people right now, okay? Because there are so many services on the weekend. There are so many things going on. But I really hope that we don't let Easter just slide by this year. You know, I hope that, that we can build upon what God did on this very, very important weekend. And that's the thing that I want to talk to you about because it's a big weekend. You know, the fact that our debt is paid. Anyone thankful that your debt was paid on the cross? I had a debt to be paid. I don't know if you did, but I did. And I'm thankful that it was paid. The death was arrested that you live in freedom now, that we, that we can worship in freedom, that, that we can go straight to God because of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. Um, this weekend, guys, churches were packed everywhere. It's the first time since maybe 2019, pre-COVID, the churches were packed. I saw people sitting in overflow at so many amazing churches around the city, and that was so exciting. This place for Easter was packed on another level. Like we talked about earlier, it was unbelievable. But here's, here's the thing that I want to speak to you about tonight, about Easter. And this isn't really an Easter message, but we've got to build on it. Easter is when God decided to go on offense. It's when God decided to go on offense, to stop playing defense and to take the attack to the devil. That's really what happened on Easter when he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He went on offense. John 10.10 10 says that Christ came and died to give us life, but not just life eternally, also life now more abundant, life more abundant. So I want to talk to you tonight about that fact that it's not just your eternity that was affected. Absolutely it was, but the resurrection also affects your life. It affects your life right now to live more abundantly. So I want to ask you a question. At Easter, God went on the offense. He sent his only begotten son, Christ, to fight for you. The question I have for you tonight is, will you fight for you? Will you fight for you? Will you pick up that battle? Will you pick up that cross and continue that fight, continue that offense? See, see, will you let the story of Easter build you, or will you just let it go by? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Um, some people love to say something like this. Oh, you know, I, I can't do that because this, this is just who I am. I'm, I'm not an outgoing person. There's no way I could do something like that. I could never get up there and speak like she does or she does because, you know, this is my, my personality. Some people 
would say something like that. I think somebody's trying to get in the door back there. Somebody can let them in. There's still seats, y'all. You don't have to go crazy. It's not like last week. <laughs> somebody's coming. But see, see, it'd be so easy to just sit and say, this is who I am, right? This is me. But I want you to think about that tonight. When God sent his son Christ to die on a cross for you so that you could be who he says you are, it's almost offensive to take that position that this is just who I am. You know, it's almost offensive to take that. You are not who you think you are. You are who he says you are. Come on, somebody. You are who he says you are. You believe that tonight? We got to stop giving the devil territory in our lives that was already bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We got to stop conceding territory like that. So today, it's time to go to war. Anybody want to go to war? The good kind of war? Anybody want to build? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about building. There was a president of the United States named John F. Kennedy. He served during the Cold War against the Soviet Union, and he had a saying that I think is incredible. He said this, the only way to guarantee peace is to prepare for war. He didn't want war. The last thing he wanted was war with a nuclear Soviet Union. But the only way to guarantee peace was to prepare for war. Is there anyone in this room that wants peace in their life? Let me see your hand right now. If your hand is not up, your hand should be up. Because let me tell you, you could have a billion dollars, but if you don't have peace, you have nothing. And there are some people in this world who have a billion dollars, maybe more, but they don't have peace. Peace is everything. Peace is priceless. That's what I want you to be able to have. If that's what you want, then it's time to go on the offense. You can't keep playing defense against the devil. I tried that in my life, you know, but I got pretty tired of it, letting him come into my house, letting him come into my music, letting him come into my feed on social media, and then trying to stop him out from there. You can't appease the devil. You can't appease him because he has one goal and one goal alone, and that is your destruction and your death and your eternal death. You can't appease an enemy like that. Anyone here like history? History buffs? Anyone? I love history. I know that makes me a nerd, but I embrace it. I love history. There was a move that was made in World War II that was very devastating. There was a man named Neville Chamberlain, the prime minister at the time, and he just conceded Poland and handed it over to Nazi Germany, to Adolf Hitler. And you know what he thought? He thought, if I just give Hitler Poland, he won't bother me in Great Britain. That was the thought that he had. And some of us in our lives, that's how we like to treat the devil. Well, you know, if we just give him this, then maybe he won't take that. There is no appeasement to him. The only thing that he wants is death in your life. His goal for you is the fate of Judas, right? To betray your Savior and to die. Where God's goal for you is Jesus Christ. Life and life more abundantly, life eternal. Very, very different things. So guys, Christ went on the offense at Easter. The question I have tonight is if you and I could go on the offense. Because Easter Sunday, those of you who put up your hand, ministry workers that are tired, Easter Sunday is not when the work ends, when you go on vacation. Easter Sunday is the day that the church was birthed. This is the day that it all started. This is the day that the work actually begins. It didn't end there at the tomb for the church. It started there. So we got work to do. We got to build. And we live in a time today where it seems like Everyone is doing the exact opposite of building, where everyone is tearing down. If you don't believe me, watch the news for 10 minutes. 
Someone is being torn down every 0.3 seconds in the media. We love to tear people down. It's like our favorite pastime. You know those gossip magazines you see when you check out at the convenience store? Do they still have those? Uh, at like Sobeys or Metro, any of those places? Nothing good is ever said about anyone in those. It's only tearing people down. And we love it. We love it as humanity. But now, my friends, is a time for the church to be different. Now is a time where we can be different from the world and we can build people up. Anyone want to do that tonight? Build people, build your faith, build your family, build your life. It's the perfect time not to conform to the world, but to what? To transform the world. To be builders in his church. To build each other. Let's do a little experiment. Let's, let's do it right now. Would you look to your neighbor? Pick your favorite neighbor. Come on, I'm looking. Pick him right now. Pick him right now. And say, bro, sis, you look good. Come on, don't, you, it's not creepy. Just tell him, you look good. You know, you look like you've been going to the gym in 2023. Tell him that. Yeah. Okay, the other one, your less favorite neighbor, the one you're not comfortable with, look to them. And say, hey, bro, what is your skincare regimen? Is that like a cleanser or, or like how do you get your pores looking so good? Come on, you, you're looking youthful. You got a glow. Maybe it's an anointing, you know? Yeah. How good did that feel, right? Just built somebody up, right? And what felt better when they said it to you or when you said it to them? Building them up, man. It's what we're called to be as, as people who follow Christ and people who say that we are followers of him. One of our great jobs is to build the church, to build God's people, to build the world. And I'm so sick of living in a season of tearing down. It's a season to build the church, and it's happening, y'all. All around Canada, I see churches being built up right now, and it is so very exciting. Building the church is everything. And look, the church is not a building. The church is you. You are the church. I am the church. The river is not, is not, the river building, the river organization, the river charity number, that's not the church. That's not the river. You are the river. Every single one of you are the river. It's not a band. It's not a preacher. It's not a building. It's you. You are the church. So when we talk, yeah, come on. When we talk about building the church, we're talking about building each other. That's what we're talking about. And look, next week, we're going to have giving week here, and that's a real tangible week where you can give in a tangible way to build the river, to build the church. You get opportunities to give and to serve at your church on Sundays. If you're not in a church yet, talk to us. We want to get you plugged into a church. Our whole mission is not to take from church, but to give to church, to build church. So you can, you can be a part of building the church in tangible ways like that, but I don't want it to end there for you. I want you to be a builder in your family. I want you to be a builder of your friends. I want you to be a builder of your coworkers. There is such a blessing for those who will build in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for you tonight. So that's what I came to talk to you about. Building for the kingdom. Not building for your portfolio. You won't get wealth management advice from me. I would have to have wealth to manage <laughs> to give that to you. But what I want to talk to you about is building. Because I believe that right now is a great time to build. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, you know, the wisest man ever to live, King Solomon. Solomon, he said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity 
under the heavens. There is a time to be born and there's a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. I believe with all my heart, y'all, if you look around what is happening right now on the tailwind of this pandemic and a crowd like this on a Tuesday night after Easter when y'all have work tomorrow and school tomorrow, that God is on the move and it is a time to build. It's a time to build right now. So that's the title of my message. Would you look to your neighbor, the favorite one, the one that you started with, and say, a time to build. Come on, say it like you believe it, a time to build. Okay, now get real close to him. Make uncomfortable eye contact. Lock in. Not me. Don't look at me. Look at your neighbor. Uncomfortable eye contact. And say, I can't stay here anymore. Uh, You've been hitting me with your elbows while you're worshiping. You clearly did not take a tic-tac. What are those things called? Yeah, the mints. A tic-tac when you came in here. I can't stay here anymore. Next week I'm worshiping with somebody else. That's not where you can't stay. Where you can't stay anymore, my friends, is in a season of complacency. That's where you can't stay anymore. It is so easy to get complacent, but I am so tired in my life of being complacent. Playing church on Sunday, acting different on Monday, rethinking it a little bit on Tuesday because we got a worship night now. You know, I'm so tired of that type of complacent world. I, I think really, y'all, This is a season where we can build, where we can really, really build. So I want to look to Scripture at a builder, a builder named Haggai. Anyone ever heard of him? It's a book in the Bible. Yeah, you heard of him. I want to look at him and tell you a little bit about him. See, his story picks up 66 years after the destruction of Solomon's temple, okay? The great temple of gold, 66 years. I'll tell you, give you some more context in a moment. But he is a priest, a judge, and he is charged with overseeing the rebuilding of the temple, the next temple. And his book in the Bible is very short. It's two chapters. You got chapter one and you got chapter two. He didn't get a whole lot, but he's still in there. And he tells us a story about the people of the day when it came to building the temple. So let's look at it. Haggai chapter one, if you have your Bibles, turn them on, boot them up. If you can find Haggai, I am impressed. Y'all are some real good church people if you can find it. But Digital Bibles, you can just look it up, pull it up there. Chapter 1, verse 2 is where we're going to pick up. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the words of the Lord. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Isn't that nice English, you know? When you don't want to do what God is telling you to do, you always come up with a spiritual saying like that, or at least I do. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. You know, that's, that's the this, this spiritual lingo they're, they're using. But let's go on and read what the Lord has to say about that. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Then the word of the Lord came from the prophet Haggai. And the word of the Lord, y'all, is going to surprise you. The word of the Lord is pretty interesting. Um, it says this. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord remains a ruin. Well, this house, the temple, remains a ruin. Isn't that interesting? See, let me paint the picture of where they're at. The Israelites have been freed from Babylonian captivity and allowed to move back to Jerusalem. This is a big deal, okay? Israelites, 
that dealt with a lot of captivity, a lot of slavery. They're back in Jerusalem. And when Haggai is writing this, it has now been 18 years since they have returned back to Jerusalem. The Bible gives us a very clear timeline in this instance. It's been 18 years, but for 14 years now, so after the first four years, for 14 years, no one has worked on God's house. No one has gone to rebuild the temple, which was burnt and destroyed. No one has done, it, done anything. What they've been doing is working on their own house. You know, they just got back to Israel. They just got back to Jerusalem. They've been working on their own house. You know how it goes. Taking the kids to school, paying the mortgage, paying the bills. Got to get the promotion at work. I need granite counters. I can't be living in this linoleum stuff. I need granite countertops. You know, we've been taking care of our own house. That's what the Israelites have been doing. Living in their paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. And God is asking him in a question, what do you think about? Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but still are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anyone here ever feel like your purse or your wallet has holes in it? It's 2023. Come on. If you go to the gas station, I know you believe your wallet has holes in it. Or maybe your gas tank does. One of the two. This is some relevant stuff that the Lord is saying through the prophet Haggai. He's saying, give careful thought to the fact that it has been 14 years that you have been building your life and your house and your kitchen and your bathroom. And what have you done for the house of the Lord? Whew. Shots fired. This is what he's saying to the Israelites. You got the land where the temple is right there, and what have you done to my house, he's saying. What have you done? You keep working on all the things of this world. You eat, but you're still not full. You drink, but your cup is still not full. You make money, but your purse is still empty. Has anyone ever felt like you just can't get ahead? You know, like, like you got work the next day, and you're just paying the bills, but you just can't get ahead. Anyone ever felt like that? Anyone? See, God is directly through the prophet speaking to the people about that feeling. And he says this in verse 9. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be a little. What you brought home, I blew away, says the Lord. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. My house remains in a ruin while each of us are busy with our own houses. The Lord is saying, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. A drought. This is serious. This is serious problems. Then Zerubbabel, anyone here having a kid? I'm pretty sure that name is still available. Any young sons of Zerubbabel? Pretty sure your family member didn't take it. It's probably still available. This one might be too. Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel. Everyone say Shaltiel. Yeah, that name is, I guarantee you that name is available. Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the, old, and the whole remnant of the people. What did they do in response to what the Lord said? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Y'all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, some people have learned that. See, they obey him. They obey what the Lord says. They take heed to his caution when he says, put careful thought to this. And then what happens? Verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. That is the best message you could ever get from the creator of the universe. I am with you. So what is happening here? What is going on? How is the Lord speaking through the prophet Haggai? The Lord is speaking very specifically, and the Lord is addressing the fact that they have got their priorities out of whack. And in 2023, it is so easy for us to get our priorities out of whack because there are so many things that arrest our attention, so many things that we need to do in our life. But see, they made a shift. They obeyed. They, the whole remnant, all that was left of Israel obeyed. And instead of drought, now what happens? He, God says, I am with you. Rain returns. They get to build the second temple, and amazing things start happening in the land all because they rearranged their priorities and started building his house, not just their own. This is the power of building the church, my friends. This is the power of building your priorities correct on where they should be. So my prayer tonight for us, Easter just happened, and it was incredible. We celebrated, but I don't want it to just go by. I want us to keep building on it. I want us to become builders of men, builders of the church, getting our priorities right. So if it's a time to build and you want to be a builder, which I think you do, we're going to get back to worship in a moment, but i got to leave you with three things, three ways that you can become a builder, three things that good builders do. Anyone here ever built anything? Built a house? Built a Lego set? I don't know. Something stepped on a Lego piece and said a word that wasn't very Christian? For my honest people that are up in here. Okay, building is hard. Building is painful. Building takes time. Building is expensive. But I want to tell you a couple things that will help you along the way of building. The first one is this. If you are building a structure, the most important thing you can do at the, build, at the beginning is this. To know this principle that builders dig deep. Look to your neighbor and say, builders dig deep. Come on, preach with me. Builders dig deep. Look, if you want to build it tall in your life, your ministry, your love for others, your church, your family, your finances, whatever it might be, if you want to build it tall, my friends, you need to dig down. You need to dig deep. You need to go through the messiest outwardly least impressive part of the process, and it's called digging deep to find a foundation. When a building is built, when a house is built, what is the first thing that you do? It sure isn't putting that granite kitchen countertop in. It's the messy stuff. It's getting down in the dirt and preparing the land for what is about to happen. It's the messiest part. It's terrible. But look, during that process, when you start digging down deep, and you get right in there, you get an opportunity to do two things. One, to dig down to the foundation that you're going to need to build upon. Two, you get to remove a whole lot of junk. You get to remove some of the rocks that have come in your life. You get to remove some of the mud that's down there. You get to remove a lot of stuff so that you can find that firm foundation that you need to build on. Um, who here has ever been in a skyscraper downtown Toronto? Up the CN Tower, 
one of those other buildings. Here's something that's so impressive about, especially in Toronto, because of the condition of the soil. Most of those skyscrapers have a foundation that is almost 300 feet deep. Think about that, 300 feet. That wall, in the dark, you can barely see it, to that wall, that's 300 feet. So before that impressive building gets erected and, build it and built up high in the sky to marvel at, they got to dig that entire depth. And, and, and that process sometimes will take years. So before you see anything impressive, the first story, the second story, the third story, there have been people digging down in the mud, tunneling, pulling out rocks, pulling out dirt, digging all the way down and building a foundation that can then withstand the tall structure. Some of us in our lives, we've been trying to build the tall structure without doing any digging. I've tried to do that in my life. We've been trying to build up high something really impressive that a lot of people will go, wow, but guess what we haven't done first? We haven't gone down. We haven't dug down. In Christianity, which is not just religion, it's relationship, you know how you build up, you go down. You got to go down first before you can build up, my friends. It's the messiest part. It's the hardest part to do. No one ever says, wow, look at that hole you dug. No one. Thanks for the lady that laughed over there late. I appreciate you. No one ever says that. But when you're 20 stories high and you got tenants in there making income and now you're driving a Ferrari because of the building you built, now people are going, wow. But without digging down, that success doesn't happen. And if you try to build without that foundation, without digging deep, my friends, it's very, very dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Why do those skyscrapers need 300 feet holes to be built upon? Because the higher you go, the more something happens in structural engineering called sway. Sway. See, wind comes, minor earthquakes, seismic movements happen, and that building that you build up high is going to sway. And if it sways a lot and you haven't dug down deep enough to secure it to something solid, guess what happens? It snaps. Some of us have seen part of our life snap and break in an instant. And we go, how could that happen? I worked so hard to build and I worked so hard to build it up. But it's because we haven't dug down deep and reached the source and built down on the rock. See, structural engineers are smart. They believe the Bible. They've read Matthew chapter 7 that the wise man built his house upon a, upon a rock and the fool built his house upon Sand. See, they understood a firm foundation. And depending on the soil conditions, sometimes you got to dig real deep to hit the rock. In 2023, the way our culture and our society is, my friends, sometimes you have to dig down real deep to see God. When you turn on TV tonight, guess what? You probably won't see him. When you go hang with your friends tomorrow, you probably won't hear about him. See, you need to intentionally dig down deep to find him in 2023. You've got to peel back layers of all these other things that the world wants you to build upon if you're going to find the rock, the firm foundation to build. The Apostle Paul, who knows him? Hands, come on, interactive preaching. The Apostle Paul, good, you're awake, just checking. He called himself a master builder. Paul did not lack confidence. He called himself a master builder, and he was. He built the early church as, and as we know it today. He really built it, and, 
And he teaches us about building the church. He taught us in a letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, which is going to come up on the screen. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. Remember when I said you are the church? There it is right there. You are his field. You are his building. People are his church. It's not about bricks and mortar. But by the grace God has given me, verse 10, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, sin, whatever it is, if you anything else, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. Y'all, this life has a way of bringing about fire. Fire happens. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. There will be a day in your life where fire comes, and the work that you have done becomes tested. That's just part of life. Chicago, an amazing city. In the late 1800s, you get a history lesson tonight. That's bonus. In the late 1800s, Chicago is a big city, and it's starting to pass New York City. It's looking like it's going to be the greatest thing that America has ever seen. And then in 1871, tragedy occurs. The Great Chicago Fire. Anyone ever heard of that? The Great Chicago Fire? Yeah, this is a a terrible, terrible event. 17,000 buildings burned to the ground. In one fire over three days, 17,000 buildings. Imagine this. It's like if a third of Toronto just disappeared burnt down to ashes to the ground. You ever heard that hymn, It Is Well? You ever heard that? It Is Well With My Soul? Horatio Spafford, he wrote that. He lived in Chicago, and he lost his firstborn son in that fire. His son died in that fire. His other kids died at sea. If you know his story, that song is a miracle. Because how you can lose all your children and then still say it is well with your soul, that's a big kind of faith. But Chicago experiences this crazy fire, and a third of the city is now gone. A third of the people in the city are homeless. They've lost all their possessions. They've lost everything. And the situation really couldn't get much worse for Chicago. But then something happens that's pretty incredible. Something called deconstruction. I'm not talking 2023 liberal theology, okay, for the pastors that are in here. Not demolition, because that's what we like to do in 2023 to faith. No, 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 not demolition, deconstruction. They start taking apart the city, brick by brick, piece of wood by wood that's left after the fire, and they start rebuilding. They take apart the city, and they start rebuilding it greater than you could ever imagine. And in 1885, guess what happens? The skyscraper gets invented in Chicago. Skyscrapers, as you know them today, wouldn't exist if that fire didn't happen. In 1885, the first one gets built in Chicago, and it gets built high. The greatest fire in the history of America ends up bringing about one of the greatest inventions in the history of the country. It's it's incredible. It's an amazing advance in history, that fire that occurs in Chicago. And then what we see happen is is really quite incredible because they figure out when they're building this skyscraper, that thing I told you before about sway, and they're starting to dig foundations down deep, deep, deep to handle that sway so that they don't snap. Has anyone been on the CN Tower? I'm almost done. We're getting to worship soon. Anyone been on the CN Tower? Yeah, if you go to the top of the CN Tower, anyone done that 
thing where you stand on the top of it and lean out. You're crazy if you've done that. That looks nuts if you've done that. The top of the CN Tower moves three and a half feet all day. Think about that. A building that high moves three and a half feet. It has a very deep foundation to handle that type of sweat. Foundations become more important the higher that you build. So if we want to build high in this life and we want to go up, we got to dig down very, very deep. What is that foundation? The foundation is the rock of Jesus Christ. It's hearing of the word and then doing of the word. That's what Matthew 7 says. It's not, it's not just that the wise man built up his house upon the rock. He heard and he did. The storm came and he still stood. It's hearing the word and doing the word. If you have that type of foundation, you can build a house taller than the CN Tower. You can build anything. But we got to dig down deep. Y'all, the Bible is the building code for life. The Bible is the instruction book for life. Anyone excited that they have the Bible to live by? Come on, anyone? That is the instruction book for life. Here's my second point. Here's my second point. This is a quick one, then we get to the third. Builders don't ignore code. They build on it. When you build, you have something called building code that you need to obey. It's kind of an instruction book to tell you what you can and what you cannot do. Real builders obey the building code. It's not always easy to, but they do. Where are my men at? Can you put your hand up? Building code, instructions, men, real men. When you buy something, what do you do with the instructions? You throw that junk straight in the trash, right? That's what I do. I'm a man. Ikea, I don't need instructions. Okay, I got to tell you a quick story before worship. I have a very small walk-in closet at my house, and Lindsay has another small walk-in closet. Those of you who are getting married or are married, it's good advice. Keep your closet separate. You avoid a lot of conflict. It's great. So we moved into a house in 2018, and we went to Ikea to buy closet organizers. Nothing too big or fancy, but this, these things, you know, they had drawers, racks, hanging racks. They're tall. They go right up to the ceiling. So we get them home. She buys hers in white. Mine is a cool, nice brown color. And, um, and we decide that we're going to have a little competition on a Saturday of who can build their closet quicker. Obviously, I'm the man, so I'm just going to destroy this and win, right? No amens to that. Wise men to not say anything about that. Well, I did, to be honest with you. I built it quicker than her. You know why? Because I took the instruction manual and I threw it in the trash. And I just built the thing as I see it should be done. And it's going great. I got music going. Everything's going wonderful. I check in on her. She's barely got the bass done. I'm laughing at her, you know, like a good husband does. And I'm almost at the top of this closet organizer, and I'm feeling so proud and macho. I don't need instructions. Kia can't tell me what to do. Go back to Sweden. I got this. No problem. I get it done. But builders, I found out, don't ignore instructions. For a reason, I get to the very top piece, and I see it right there on the floor, and I got the whole thing built, and I go to put it on top. And I realized the piece that I thought was the top was actually the base. <laughs> like the very base that everything else secures into. So now I've got to go back to Lindsay and make sure that she doesn't see that I'm going to take apart this entire closet <laughs> and restart from the very beginning. <laughs> you know why? Because I thought I didn't need the instructions. 
My friends, builders don't ignore code. The Bible is the code book of life. It might not always be easier. Yeah. Sometimes it might be hard to do it the way that the building code says to do it, but the building code says to do it that way for a reason. And you can build your whole life up and think you're doing just great, and then all of a sudden you see that a piece just doesn't fit. And you are left with a useless giant heap of fiberboard that they call wood and sell for a lot of money. And you're just, you got nothing you can do, and you wonder what happened, what went wrong. Well, you, you didn't listen to the, the very first step, the very first instruction. You got the base wrong. You didn't dig down deep. You didn't put the right thing at the bottom to build everything else across. My friends, builders don't ignore code. My, my third point, going to my third point now, is that builders don't compete, they complete. Builders don't compete, they complete. This is good. Listen to this. Builders don't compete, they complete. Builders don't compete, they complete. They, fo they don't focus on what everyone else is doing around them, okay? They focus on their project and their calling, and they work on getting that done. See, see, it's so easy to get distracted by other people's callings and other things that, that they got going, but y'all, life is too short to live in competition. Your life is not a competition. Your life is a calling. If your life was a competition, that would be fine, but it's not. Your life is a calling. Here's a true test for friendship. If you really want to test if someone is your real friend, see how they react when you have a success in your life. See, if they try to downplay it, oh, yeah, that's good, but you know what? Or if they do this, oh, that's great, but do you know what I did? Oh, that's cool that you made that, but do you know what I made? That's not a real friend. That's a competitor. That's not a friend. That's not a true test of friendship. A true test of friendship is if someone celebrates your victories. If someone cheers you on after you do something great. If someone wants to build you up to higher heights. I heard it once said this way. Good people let you know that they are good with their actions. I don't mean prideful things. I mean, you just see it. You see the fruits of their labor. Good people let you know that they are good by their actions, but great people, truly great people, don't just let you know about their actions. Don't just let you know that they are good. They make you believe that you too are great. They spur you on to greatness. That's the line of distinction between good people and great people. I want you to be great people. I want you to be builders that cheer people on when they are building towards to the towards the code, the book of life, the Bible. Anyone want to be a good, a good friend, a good builder? Okay, good. Would you stand to your feet? Because we're going to go back to worship. Stand to your feet, worship team. Come on up here. Jonathan, you can play those wonderful keys. Number one, number one, builders dig deep. It's not easy. Digging down deep is hard. You got to crawl through the mud. You don't post on the gram when you're digging down deep. When you go in the gym and you try to start building your body and you got, you know, you got that extra dad bod that I gained after a kid, you don't, you don't start posting pictures in tank tops. You post pictures in baggy sweaters and hoodies, right? Oh, maybe he's big under there, right? That's what you post. No one posts the process. They only post the final result. You know, they post the six-pack after five years of hard work when they're there.
But it's the process, it's the building that really matters. My friends, builders dig down deep. And when they build, they don't ignore the code. They obey the instructions because the instructions came from a higher place with a little bit more wisdom. The instructions are from the designer. And if he designed you, then he probably knows what's best for you. Builders build according to code, according to the instructions, and they don't compete. They complete. It's the final 5% that usually makes the difference between success or defeat. It's having that endurance to do that last little bit. It's easy to start things. It's very difficult to finish things, my friends. Especially if you're trying to compare your seed to someone else's seed. God gave you your seed for a reason. It was specific to you. You got to stop comparing your seed to their great oak tree that's already growing. You have no idea what your seed is going to grow into. You have no idea what God is going to do with it. But if your eyes are focused on their tree, you'll forget to water it. You won't grow it. You'll stay in their shadow and it won't get the light that it needs to grow. Building is important. These are the things that can help you build. The last thing I'll leave you with before we worship is you might say to me, Pastor, cool, yeah, whatever. I'm not a builder. I'm young. Or, or maybe this, my life is in pieces. I'm not looking at building. I'm just trying to see if I can make it another day. That might be the situation that you're in today. If that is the situation that you're in today, know this, that Chicago was once in that position too, where the whole city was in pieces. But pieces, my friend, are perfect for building. Pieces are perfect for building. Don't despise the season of your life when you are in pieces. Here's just what you got to do. You got to take those pieces of the broken pottery of your life and you got to put them back in the hands of the potter. You got to put them back in the hands of the one that made you. Because we try to fix it on our own and, you know, we, we tape it up and we try to put it back together and then a good thing happens and it, and it just leaks through. It's like we can't hold on to peace. You know, it comes for a season and we have it for a month, but then it's gone. You've got to give it back to the one who made it. Let him mold the pieces together. Let him build you. If you are in pieces, my friends, don't despise it because until the clay is broken and remolded, it can't really be shaped by the maker. He is the builder of the broken. He has already paid the ransom for the captive. You and I, if you are in pieces, you are positioned perfectly to build. So maybe you got it all together tonight, or maybe you have nothing together, and you just feel out of place even being here. Why am I here with all those Christians, all those people of faith? I want to assure you that you can build today. But, 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 you got to want it. You got to want it. God can't make you want it. In fact, I believe you got to be desperate for it. You got to be willing to go on the offense. You got to be desperate for that touch of heaven. Because when he touches it, everything can change, my friends. Everything can change with just one touch. There was a woman in the Bible who just got a touch of the hem of his garment. And everything changed for her in an instance. Everything. You can be a builder, all it takes is a touch. 
So we're going to worship again now tonight. And my prayer is that you would, you would touch heaven tonight. That you would feel his presence tonight. And then you would leave this place changed, knowing that you can build. That it might be hard, but you can build.